In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece from our 2021 body issue. This was an issue in which we explored the aftermath of the physical toll of breast cancer on our breasts, on our hair, etc. If you've been a reader of Wildfire Magazine or even a listener of this podcast for a little while, you know that I'm all about healing our stories through writing, and an extension of this is getting beyond the diagnosis and treatment details. As cancer survivors, when we meet one another, we tend to rattle off our breast cancer stats, as I like to call them. That's our age of diagnosis, our type of breast cancer and staging, as well as our treatment. We do this to establish a common ground and connect with one another. It's important but I think it's also important that we're more than our diagnosis. So for the body issue, when I did the call for submissions, I gave the writing prompt, what my medical file won't tell you. This was my urging to go deeper into who the person was before, during, and after that diagnosis day. It was a call to get personal and get vulnerable. Just as we have to learn to live in a body that's been surrendered to a team of doctors, it's important for healing that we take back our stories. Lots of studies have been done in the last 20 years giving us insight into the power of expressive writing, or writing that tells our true stories. Think of James Pennebaker and his groundbreaking studies in the 1980s. Today, a study is currently underway at Vanderbilt in Tennessee that has discovered there is something about naming our experience, giving it the words it deserves, that helps us from overinflating an experience or from undervaluing it. The words we use help us see and honestly evaluate the problem more clearly so we can potentially find a solution. And not just any words will do. They have to be the right words. When you can finally put the exact right words to something you've been feeling or living through, a deep relief comes. Here's an example. Mark Twain said the difference between the almost right word and the right word is the difference between a lightning bug and lightning. So this is the invitation that writing gives us to find the exact right words, but it's more than this because it's about your own words and also expanding the words with which you use to tell your story. With Wildfire, I get a lot of stories submitted that are a person's entire cancer story boiled down to 700 words. That means it's primarily their diagnosis and primarily in the words or jargon that most likely appear in their medical file. To me, this says their cancer story is so far just about resharing what has been told to them by their oncology team, meaning it's their oncologist story about them. Their oncologist is the main character of the story. It's not their story yet. The Vanderbilt study has found significant data linking word choice to healing, and this study was documented in the book The Power of Writing It Down. 
the author, Alison Fallon, wrote, The researchers are concluding, based on early data, that the fewer the words a person uses to describe an event, the smaller the range for understanding and appropriately categorizing the event. The question the researchers were seeking to answer was profound. What if writing things down could do more than just predict your emotional state? What if it could actually help regulate it? In other words, telling your story over and over again from as many angles as possible is how you truly own it. My guest today is Tracy Cushing. Tracy had been practicing emergency medicine for 19 years, and then one day that shifted as she became a cancer patient. Tracy was diagnosed at 45 with stage 2 lobular breast cancer. Tracy answered my call for submissions to the body issue and the prompt, what my medical file won't tell you. I cannot wait for you to hear her incredible story. Ultimately, it's the story of one woman taking back her medical file to fill in the gaps, all the while asking how, as she dons the title of survivor, can she keep her identity as athlete too? Welcome to The Burn, Tracy. Thank you for this incredible opportunity. I'm really glad to be here. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to just let you dive right in. Go ahead and, and read us your story. My piece is titled, What My Medical File Won't Tell You. What my medical file doesn't tell you is that I am a four-time Ironman. Four times I've pushed myself to complete 140.6 miles of swimming, 2.4 miles, biking, 112 miles, and running, 26.2 miles. Four times I've reached my physical and mental limits, the hardest I'd ever challenged myself, until breast cancer. I was in the midst of heavy training for Ironman number five, scheduled for June 25th, 2021 in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, when I felt a lump in my breast. I initially blew it off. I was 45, a healthy athlete, no family history of breast cancer, vegan for 10 years, vegetarian most of my life. I have a normal BMI, training eight to 16 hours a week for triathlon. I'd had normal mammograms religiously every year since turning 40. My medical file won't tell you any of this. How could I have breast cancer? A sequence of tests led to a diagnosis of invasive lobular carcinoma stage 2B. The first decision was whether to have a lumpectomy with radiation or mastectomy. I had a relatively large tumor and a pretty small breast, so the decision to have a mastectomy was almost made for me. And I wanted more than anything to avoid radiation, fearing the effects on my heart, lungs, and exercise tolerance. All I could think about was that June 25th Ironman and being able to train for it. My medical file mentions my request for a double mastectomy without reconstruction. It doesn't tell you the reasoning or agonizing thought process behind it. It shows a referral to and a consult with a plastic surgeon whose services I never wanted. Breast cancer taught me very quickly what my priorities are and what parts of my body matter the most to who I am as a person and a woman. I was willing, eager almost, to dispose of the cancerous breast and its dense, mammogram-resistant twin that might be hiding another cancer. I've never walked into a room breast first, have never relished showing them off, and had little attachment to them as part of my self-image. The thought of losing my hair to chemotherapy, however, caused me to melt down on multiple occasions. Breast cancer makes clear what parts of our bodies are truly parts of ourselves, the parts we cannot imagine being ourselves without. My medical file doesn't mention this. Asking for mastectomy without reconstruction was the first of many humiliating and patronizing interactions at all levels of a medical system that was incredulous at my choice. How could a 45-year-old woman forego reconstruction and just stay flat? Flat? 
This led to multiple discussions, questions of my choice, a referral to a plastic surgeon for no good reason, just to discuss my options, and queries as to the stability of my mental state at this time. You can't really tell much of this from my medical chart, minus the carefully documented conversation with said plastic surgeon, who reported my desire to get back to training and racing as quickly as possible, even mentioning the word Ironman in my chart. For the very first time, someone understood. Ironically, the very provider who was there to sell me on implants I didn't want. Thankfully, he did not, and the conversation ended with a see you in the future if you need me. I spent six weeks before my mastectomy swimming 12,000 meters a week, biking, running, and building up my arm and core strength in anticipation of the upcoming surgery. It is the reason I sailed through the operation, walked two miles the next day, and ran a 5K five weeks post-op. My Ironman became reality again, and I had hope for the first time in months. My medical file doesn't tell you any of this, and none of my providers did either. I wish someone had given me a prescription for exercise the way they did for pain medication, which I rarely needed, likely because of the exercise. The idea of being at the starting line on June 25th and the feelings of joy and hope I got just thinking about 100-mile bike rides were quickly dashed in the next step of breast cancer treatment, ophorectomy. Not having more kids, menopause knocking on the door, estrogen and progesterone positive tumor, it made sense medically and for breast cancer recurrence prevention to get rid of the ovaries. My medical file tells you I opted for surgical menopause. It doesn't tell you about the hours I spent crying, facing immediate and permanent menopause at age 45, my fear of bone density loss as an athlete, increased cardiovascular risk, and decreased exercise tolerance. My medical file does tell you how providers counseled me regarding the subsequent hot flashes, night sweats, decreased libido, and vaginal dryness, for all of which they had pills, remedies, and creams to recommend. It does not tell you about the crass jokes my husband and I started making about my dry old vagina on the way home from the doctor's visits. It doesn't tell you that in making this decision, I was simultaneously making the decision not to be at the starting line of Ironman Coeur d'Alene on June 25th. Now, eight weeks post-op from a double mastectomy and two weeks post-op from a laparoscopic bilateral salping ophorectomy, I'm in menopause. I'm starting an aromatase inhibitor next week. I had to come to terms with my body's current reality and its limits. I'm still working hard at rehab, physical therapy, and slowly getting back to biking and running. If it was a short distance or a running race, I might decide to show up on June 25th and see what happens. But you can't do that for 140.6 miles. The mental and physical strength require months of buildup and discipline, and I have to admit to myself that breast cancer sabotaged that this time around. I haven't done enough long rides or runs to attempt the distance, and my brain and energy have been hijacked by information, doctor's appointments, scans, needle sticks, and what-ifs. I also have to admit I don't know what menopause will do to me. It says in my chart that I'm entering what we call survivorship and that I did well postoperatively. It doesn't say anything about the losses, grief, despair, and physical transformation I've been through these few months. I guess those are hard to capture in a medical chart. I'm glad at least one person took the time to document Iron Man somewhere in there, because it increases the chances that each subsequent provider will ask me about it. I won't be attempting 140.6 miles anytime soon, but it remains my goal, and one I will not let breast cancer sabotage again. Thank you, Tracy. That was beautiful. Oh, thank you so much for reading that. All right, we are going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will chat some more. Hello, I'm Katie. 
I was diagnosed with lobular primary breast cancer, stage two estrogen positive, um, November 19, uh, 2019. Um, throughout my year and a half of treatments, I wrote um, in April's wildfire workshops and have found the process completely transformative. Um, I've written something now to try and capture um, in words um, how I see that process working. I can see in words where they come from now and where they are going. There are spirals endlessly going over and back, reaching forward. The movement I see is black ink effortlessly moving into the future from the past. Sentences are salved to me now, salved to old hidden wounds, bringing them out into the open so they can appear on the page, be acknowledged, seen and healed. I see this movement of ink and shapes going backwards and forwards through my life. Soothing, opening, smoothing, leaving nothing unseen because I'm wide enough and deep enough to soothe all my past hurts. I know that now. Thank you, April. Thank you, Wildfire. Thank you so much for the love, Katie. All right. Welcome back, Tracy. Thank you again for writing such a powerful and vulnerable story. I really appreciate that. And hearing you read it in your own words was really special. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I came across Wildfire very early on in my breast cancer journey. And as someone who's always been a journaler and a writer and an editor and someone who loves words, it's really been an integral part of my healing. And this piece in particular took what was most important to me and the thing that I was most afraid of losing and allowed me to really work through that in words. So I appreciate that, um, the opportunity. Yeah, I love hearing that. So let's start with an update. It's been um, six months-ish since I published that issue. And so potentially a little bit more than that since you wrote it. Can you give us an update on where you are now, um, particularly with with Iron Man and everything like that on your plate? So I raced last summer. I did some short races. I got on the podium twice and I met a breast cancer survivor who was 60 who won her age group in the local race, which was just the most inspiring thing ever. And I... My sort of comeback race last summer was the half Ironman in Boulder. And I had done that race four times. And Ironman, the Ironman crew filmed me for some reason that morning and tracked my story and actually put it in their their summary of the race that it was my big race back from breast cancer. And it's been great. And it's also been humbling in the ways that my body has changed. I'm definitely different as an athlete. I'm a little more frail in some ways. I now have osteoporosis in addition to being in menopause. Um, and because of that, my rheumatologist sort of drew the line somewhere arbitrarily between a full Ironman and a half Ironman is what would be safe for me to do. But we decided one more full Ironman just as kind of a Take that breast cancer. So I'm training for Ironman Alaska, which is going to be August 7th of this year. Oh, I love that. And I'm so glad that that you get to know when maybe your last full one will be, because there are so many things because of cancer that we didn't know that was going to be the last, you know, and you only know it in retrospect. So getting to um, 
I mean, I'm sorry that it has to be the the last potentially for you, but to be able to go into it acknowledging that I think will be a different experience than realizing it after the fact. I think so, too. And it it's OK. I'm at peace with it. I am still running and biking and swimming, and I'm still using exercise very much to help me on my journey. And there's plenty of other ways that I can I can get that in with some other epic adventures that won't risk stress fractures. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and I'm glad you just brought that up, you know, that you're still using it, obviously, in your survivorship. You're in the this spot in um, after treatment that I kind of feel like, I don't know, I'm struggling to come up with the words. It's It's kind of that new normal, you know, of life after diagnosis where a lot of people feel the depression, the PTSD, like everything from having gone through treatment and diagnosis starts to get heavy. Do you feel like exercise has helped you in, you know, with the mental health aspect of a physical diagnosis? A hundred percent. I it kept me together mentally and physically in this past year. Absolutely. Um, it's always been an important part of my lifestyle, obviously doing Ironmans, but really for my mental health, just being outside, being active and knowing that my body still worked was really important, even if it wasn't 100 percent firing on all cylinders. But sure. Yeah. Well, you mentioned how much writing this story kind of helped you to put together some of those different pieces and also get to work through something that was very much your identity prior to to this diagnosis coming. Can you just talk a little bit more about that process of of actually writing your story and and working through it and what that did for you? Sure. So I as a physician, we're not very good patients. And I was a little bit, I, I was rough on my journey as a patient. And I had a lot of negative interactions with my healthcare team, particularly around this issue of not wanting to get reconstruction. And I got so much pushback and took so much flack for it. And I, I even had an OR nurse made me feel embarrassed about it at one point. And I really struggled as to why no one could understand what my priorities were, right? Like I wanted to get back in the pool and start swimming. You don't do that with like expanders and implants and deep flat. You know, I was like, I'm not going to harvest muscles from other places that I need for swimming and biking. And I felt like no one was listening to what I wanted. What was the most important thing for me in this journey that was going to suck for all kinds of reasons? And mm -hmm. Writing it really allowed me to put that into words in a way that I probably never did adequately. Maybe I did for that one plastic surgeon who actually heard me. But I don't know that my breast surgeon ever really got that message. You know, she sent me to a plastic surgeon. I was like, wait, you know, no, I said very clearly my priority was to get back in the pool and swim like that. You know, you're not facilitating that. So the write, writing this helped me get a lot of those feelings coalesced and really helped me process why I think I had been having such a rough time of it with my providers. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, yes. And you're also, you know, because you're on both sides, you know, patient doctor sides of this um, equation, would you say that this experience has changed how you 
talk to patients. And it's making me think of this idea of narrative medicine and how we need to have the whole picture of who a person is to really address problems as they arise. Oh, my gosh. It's changed. It's changed everything. Um, I think I was always a bit on the hypochondriac side of like, is this cancer? You know, and even though I had no risk factors for it, and even as a med student thinking like, gosh, is this cancer? Um, so I'm very sensitive to that in patients anyway. But now when I take care of cancer patients, it's it's just so different and it can be really wonderful. It can also be really scary um, to take care of like a stage four breast cancer patient and walk in a room and think, gosh, that could very well be me mm-hmm. at any time is... Um, It's been the hardest part of my job because it kind of keeps slapping me in the face with something that I've worked really hard to keep at bay. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do think that doctors as patients, right, you can't ever truly understand something that you haven't been through yourself. And when you see it from the other side and it, it gives you quite a different picture of medicine. I was never idealistic that medicine was all that great in the U.S. anyway, but... (laughs) (laughs) this definitely changed my perspective. I, yeah, I mean, I hate the talk about silver linings, but to be able to take an experience and apply it, you know, going forward, I think that there is a little bit of a gift in that. So I think I'm happy for your patients that you can come to to it with more, maybe a little uh, humanity or something like that. So yeah, thanks, Tracy, for that. Um, I have one last question for you before our time is up here. And you didn't write about this in your story. So you can also tell me if this is um, not something you're comfortable talking about. But you were diagnosed with lobular breast cancer. And lobular is um, not as common as ductal. And so I wonder if um, or if you can just talk a little bit about how your experience has been having a slightly less, quote unquote, popular, you know, breast cancer in a world that's very focused on ductal uh, breast cancer? Sure, yeah. So I remembered vaguely from med school that there was this other less common type of breast cancer, and I didn't really think much else about it until I got diagnosed with it. And I was a little disheartened to learn that in the 20 years since I had graduated medical school, there had been almost no or very, very limited research directly on lobular breast cancer. There are subsets of studies on all breast cancer patients where they, you know, select out the lobulars, but it really hadn't been researched on its own. And so that was a little disheartening. And it is a little bit different in its prognosis. It's largely estrogen and receptor and progesterone positive, usually HER2 negative. It's very difficult to detect on mammogram because of the way it grows. So a lot of women have similar stories to mine of no one ever saw this on a mammogram and it presents in some other way. For me, I felt my own lump. And because it grows in this kind of spider webby spread out instead of in these tight balls like the ductal cells. And so I've, in the small world of lobular breast cancer, I've managed to get myself elected to the board of directors of the Lobular Breast Cancer Alliance, which is the only U.S. lobular organization, which just became its own organization this year. So we're really early, but very thankful to have that. And part of their mission is to fund lobular research specifically. 
And there's a researcher at my institution, the University of Colorado, whose entire lab is dedicated to the study of lobular breast cancer. So I think it's getting more attention. The Facebook groups are referred to as the lob mob. Um, and it's a pretty vocal and active um, advocate group amongst lobular patients. So as much as it kind of stinks a little bit to be sort of the stepchild and it's like, well, this worked for ductal, so we think it'll work for lobular. Um, it's nice to know there's a nice patient advocacy community out there that's quite vocal. Oh, I love that so much. I'm so glad that that we're talking about this. Can you tell us where we can find more about that online? The Lobular Breast Cancer Alliance is lbca.org. And from there, they can basically get you to other links uh, for lobular research, lobular trials, um, and uh, basically anything else you want to know about lobular breast cancer. And then there are a couple of Facebook groups. If you just look up lobular breast cancer, there are about four or five of them that are on there. Perfect. Yeah, we're definitely going to link to those um, in the show notes because I do think it gets a little swept under the bigger rug of, of ductal um, of ductal breast cancer. We need more discussions about lobular as well as inflammatory. So thank you, Tracy, for 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 being on this committee and for sharing that with us. I love it's that. my pleasure. Yeah, I think as a doctor, I was like, I got to do something, right? And so I may as well just jump right in. And so it feels it feels good to actually be doing something um, that will hopefully directly impact research for my type of cancer. Yes. Well, and, and you are doing something. I mean, you're doing that, but you're also sharing this, you know, your story, the story you shared with us today, I think was really powerful in that um, you shared this one line about how there should be more uh, prescriptions of exercise, you know, and maybe some of those things would make a difference for survivorship. And I think that sharing your personal story helps make a case for that. So, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. I, I will say one quick thing. My yep. when I had my last visit with my medical oncologist and I said, Doc, what can I do to prevent my cancer from coming back? She said to me, exercise. Mm. That was the one variable that I could control that would make a difference in my can, you know, of course, take your meds and all that other stuff. But lifestyle wise, that was her prescription for me. And I was so thankful because I can totally do that. Yes. Well, and the thing that I love about that, too, is that it gives us a sense of control. You know, even if heaven forbid, but even if your cancer comes back, at least, you know, I did everything that I could. You know, you don't have to wonder. Um you know, if I could have done something different. Um, so, yeah. So much that we can't control on this journey, right? You have to just let go of that and control what you can control. Exactly. And yes, write your story, do your exercise, and then, yeah, an advocate, right? Be an advocate yes. for others. <laughs> be an advocate. What, and one other thing to include in the show notes that would be great, there's a group called She Strong that is a women's, uh, basically athletic group of cancer survivors, all types of cancer, but cancer survivors. And they have a dedicated triathlon coming up this year just for cancers, women cancer survivors. It's called the Monarch Tri, and it'll be in Arizona in September and I or in October. And I think it's going to be really cool. So just a shout out to the woman who started that, who's a breast cancer survivor, Brandy oh. Ramirez. Fantastic. Yes, we'll definitely link that. Well, thank you so much. Today's writer and guest was Tracy Cushing. Her piece was called What My Medical File Won't Tell You from the June-July 
2020 issue of Wildfire Magazine, Body. Tracy, where can people find you online or learn more about you? I'm on Instagram at Tracy Crushes Cancer and at Vegan Doctor Mom. Vegan Doctor Mom, I love it. Thank you so much. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. Here is the writing prompt. I'm going to give you the same one that I gave Tracy. What my medical file won't tell you. I want you to find your story in your own exact right words. This will help you recenter yourself as the main character of your story. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.